0: You know, we've been in this series looking at a love that lasts, and I believe that probably for, for everyone in this room, that if you would put at the top of your list of experiences or, that you would want in your life, at the very top of that list would be, I want to have a lasting, loving relationship with another person. I mean, we long for that. We long for it. And we wonder if it's even possible And yet the scripture that we're looking at this month is just one verse tucked into a chapter called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to look there, it's it's a great chapter, one of the most poetic, beautiful expressions of love. And it's about agape love, the love that comes from God, a love that's very unique to the Christian culture. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that's giving. And it's a love that's lasting. It's a love that Paul says never fails. And we're going to look at that kind of love. We've looked, first of all, at the very beginning of this series, how love protects. That when you love someone, you do everything you can to protect them, which means I provide a safe environment for them. I want them to be safe with me. And that could be physical, that could be emotional safety. We do everything to guard that relationship. Last week, Pastor Sam talked about trust. And he shared with you how he's learned to trust his senior pastor, which is really good to hear. And trust is when we put Uh, We we choose to believe the best about someone. We put trust in those gaps that arise. And God wants us to always trust. And today we're talking about hope. That when you love someone, you always hope for them. Now, I realize this is getting to be a very sensitive issue today because many of us have gotten to a place in a relationship with a friend or even with our kids, but more likely with a spouse, where hope has kind of disappeared And honestly, some of you are sitting here today saying, Pastor, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it through the year. I don't know if my marriage is going to make it another month. In fact, Some of you are wondering, I don't know if my marriage will make it through the next week. And I want to tell you that there is hope. There really is. And even though you've reached the end of your rope, God has more to give you. What you can't see, you need to believe God has for you. And I believe that if you would open up your heart today and say, God, I can't see it, I don't feel it, But I'm going to ask you, if there is hope, give it to me, that he would do that for you today. That's been my prayer all week, and I would ask that you pray that with me right now. That, Father, you'd speak to us through your word, that your word would be powerful to penetrate our hearts and instill within them a hope that is beyond ourselves, a hope that can look to you for amazing things where we can't see anything but pain. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 13, and actually, I'm going to have you help me read it, because I want us to do this together, because this is a great verse to remember with these four qualities of love, so let's just read it together out loud. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Okay, to, I want us to do it one more time, but this time I want you to read it like you believe it. And I want you to emphasize the words always. And when we get to the very end, I want you to pronounce with great boldness that this love never fails. Okay, let's do it one more time. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Do you believe that? That you can have that kind of love that's an unfailing kind of love. It's true, you can. And you need it in your relationships. You need it with your kids, and you definitely need it um, with your spouse if you're married. So what is this thing called hope? Is it just wishful thinking? Is it Pollyanna kind of attitude? Is it, is it blind optimism? No, no, it's none of those at all. Hope in Scripture is something that's grounded in something very solid, and that is the Lord. So here's a definition of hope. It's that I confidently anticipate God doing what He says He can do. Love means I confidently anticipate God doing what He says He can do. It's not based on the circumstances. It's not based on the environment or the other person. It's based on what God is able to do. Now, when do we need hope? There's a lot of situations in life that where we need hope, but I think we need it most in relationships. It's been said that you can live um, a few weeks without food, you can go a few days without water, a few minutes without oxygen. But you cannot live at all without hope. And I think there's some truth to that. You could probably trace every suicide back to the loss of hope. Then when a person says, I, I don't have hope anymore, they lose the will and the desire to even live. We need hope. And the greatest hopes come in relationships. We have students that are finishing school this month, and some are graduating from high school. They're going to go off to college, and they have friendships that they've developed over, over a number of years. And I really believe that the hope is, because I had this hope, that when you graduate and go your separate ways, you know, you go to one state, another person goes to college year, someone goes to the military, someone gets a job in the, in the public sector, you really believe that you're going to be able to hook up on weekends, that you'll reconnect on Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break, and that the relationship will just continue as it always has. You have hopes for those relationships. Now, the reality is, a lot of those relationships will just vanish, and you'll establish some new relationships. But the hope is there. When you have kids, you have hopes for your kids of of who you want them to become and what you want them to believe and hopes that they'll get a great job and they'll find a mate and marry. And some of us have hopes that our kids will have grandkids. And you hope for the kids. But I don't think there's any relationship we have as high of hopes as for a marriage relationship. When we get married... We have hopes of this beautiful, lasting relationship. But that hope gets dashed first when expectations aren't met. I believe our culture has set us up unfairly to expect out of marriage something that's really impossible. And we have this, this image or this picture that Prince Charming meets Cinderella. I know those are two different Disney stories, but they come together and they fall in love. And they have this event called the wedding, most expensive day of their life. And they, they throw this big party and they look wonderful. They look amazing. She looks stunning. He looks handsome. And everybody's happy. They're eating good food. And then they jet off to some island or some cruise or a mountain cabin and they spend a, a week of just pure paradise together. And they think. Man, I've been waiting my whole life for this. It's going to be like this all the time. And then they come back home, and the honeymoon is over. By the way, I looked up the word honeymoon because I thought, oh, where did that word come from? Honeymoon. What does it have to do with honey and the moon? Well, it actually is those two words, honey and moon. Honey meaning it's sweet. I would say it's also sticky. But, it's, but the sweetness of the love that's shared. But the moon, the moon... It was a reminder that that sweetness will wane. It will fluctuate, much like the moon. There's a full moon, and there's a partial moon, and you need to be prepared. It's almost like it's a warning that, that this isn't going to last forever. It's like the moon. It's going to change. It's going to change over time, and you need to be prepared. I think when we get married, we have no clue of the vows we commit to because of all the relationships we have, it's only marriage where you make a vow to somebody. You don't pledge your, your allegiance to your kids. There's no public ceremony to do that. You don't do that with your friends, but you do it with your spouse. And you actually stand before uh, an audience or a justice of the peace, and you say things like, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And you're smiling and saying, I do, and absolutely, you betcha. And we have no clue what we're committing to. We have no clue what worse looks like until we get into marriage. And we get into weeks and months of marriage. And we have no idea what poor looks like until, until you open up the refrigerator one day and you go, hey, honey, we don't have anything in here. And what are all these bills doing on the table? How are we going to pay for all this stuff? And all of a sudden, there's tension in the marriage because you didn't really understand what poor meant. You didn't understand what sick meant. Yeah, you knew some sniffles and colds, but all of a sudden, your, your spouse is really ill. And in the early days of marriage, I know, we're all real tender. Honey, can I get you to drink water? babe, can I turn the heat up or get you a blanket? And sweetie, you want me to run down to Walgreens and pick up some medicine? You know, after about 10 years of dealing with sickness, it's, can you quit barking so loud? The game's on, and trying to watch this. And, and golly, go in the other room and blow your nose. Why don't you go outside and get some fresh air, honey? Come on, I'm tired of this. I mean, you, you lose a sensitivity to that. It's, it's in marriage where we deal with things that are unmet expectations. We're not prepared for that. And so we have role differences and, and conflict of who's going to do what. And we have conflict over how we parent kids. We have, we have expectations of how we're going to spend our money. I thought that when two people got married, of course, they, they were on the same page financially. But I've come to realize that God has a sense of humor, and he puts together a saver and a spender. And he puts them in the same house, and so there's, there's conflict. And while one person's trying to balance the budget, pay all the bills, the other person's saying, hey, we're going to have some fun over here. I thought, we, I thought we'd go out for dinner or go out for a party. And God's stretching both and telling the person over, who's the killjoy over here to loosen up a little bit. And God's telling the other person, you've got to rein it in. Can't always have parties. And you balance each other. But it's frustrating because your expectations aren't being met. And when they're not being met, you start to lose hope. If you have young children, if you're a parent with, with real little ones, you may think, God, ah, it's so easy. What's the big deal with raising kids? I mean, my kids do what I ask them to do. They brush their teeth. They go to bed. Piece of cake. I'm just telling you, wait. you wait. You just wait till they become teenagers. It's a world of difference. What do you do? You start to lose hope when, hey, they're not doing what I thought they were supposed to do. They're not growing up the way I expected them to grow up. You can lose hope. Especially you'll lose hope if it goes to the next level. This is kind of the, the, the descent to despair. When disappointment settles in. The greater the expectations, the greater the disappointment. I don't want to be a killjoy, but if you're thinking about being married, I just want to warn you, you will become more angry, more upset, more disturbed emotionally than you've ever been in your entire life. I'm just telling you the truth. Just just go in with your, your head Wide awake, your your head up, your eyes wide awake to what you're encountering because you will be disappointed. Your spouse runs up the credit card or breaks a promise to come home on time or can't control their tongue or temper and there'll be disappointment and it'll push you to your limits. And there'll be times where you feel like, I want out, but I can't because I committed to the vows and they're like chains on my ankles and I can't go. So the best thing we can do is find separate rooms to watch TV or even to sleep in. And that's how we deal with disappointment in the relationship. You may think being a Christian means you don't experience that. I'm telling you, that's not true. You experience it just as much as everybody else. All couples I know that are honest go through not just moments, but seasons of disappointment. I've gone through them. There's times I've been very disappointed in my marriage. And I I would tell you there's been more seasons. My wife has been disappointed in her marriage to me. So, disappointment sets in, and when that sets in and really takes root, it becomes hurt, and that hurt runs deep. That's when you lose hope, when the hurt runs deep. Our daughter, Stephanie, has a different father biologically. When we moved to Colorado Springs, and she was 10 years of age, all of a sudden her father stopped contacting her. No more weekend visits, no more birthday cards, no more Christmas presents, not even phone calls. I didn't realize this till later in life, but she went through a really traumatic time asking herself this question. Why would my daddy abandon me? What's wrong with me that I'm unworthy of a card or a phone call? If you're a parent uh, who, who has children in another place, I just urge you, you better make contact with them on a regular basis because they're reading into your lack of involvement and they're putting it on themselves and that hurt has run deep in her. See, when you don't feel protected, that was the first part of love that lasts. If you don't feel protected, you don't feel safe, you can't develop trust. And if there's no trust, it's hard to have hope. And so all of these build upon one another. And sometimes when there's hurt that's deep, you can recover, rebound from it. But many of us take the, the next step down, the, the last step in the descent to despair. And that is, We just believe change is unlikely. It's not going to happen. I I love Christian counselors. My wife and I have been to a Christian counselor before. Here's what Christian counselors do. They give you hope. They give you hope. It's a gift that that you believe things could be better. Maybe you've gone to a counselor when you've had no hope. says, I don't think this is going to work out. We're at the end of our rope, and you go to a counselor, and what does he or she give you? A little light of hope, a little glimmer. But it requires something of you. You've got to go back and do something different. You've got to handle issues differently, communicate differently, manage your emotions differently. And if you do those things, if change is present in in both persons, if if change is present, hope starts to rise up. But here's what gets real discouraging. When you realize that that person's not going to change. They just won't change. They, they, They aren't aware of it or they don't care about it, but they're not going to change. Now, my mom was married to a man that wasn't going to change. And she lived in a generation that said, we tough it out. We're just going to hang together for the sake of the kids. And so she's, she did that for over 60 years. And she's glad she did it. But today, people are less inclined to do that. That's why in our culture, the divorce rate is 50%, has been for at least 30 years. Half of all marriages end in divorce. And why? Why? Do people get married wanting to get divorced? Absolutely not. I've never met someone who says, yeah, we're getting married, but we're planning in five years to get divorced. They don't do it. They get married with high hopes. And what happens? Hope drains. goes lower and lower. And they get to the place where I'm so hurt, I'm so disappointed, I don't think anything's ever going to change. I've got to find a way out. And do you know today that young people are waiting five years longer than their grandparents to get married? The average age is around 27, 28. There's this, there's this weird gap between, uh, in, in young adulthood where, where people are just waiting. You know why they're waiting? I've heard one young adult say this. I don't see marriage working for anybody. And so they want to get married. They believe that it's the, it's, it could be this great thing, but they're saying, I can't see any good models of where it's happening. So I'm hesitant, and so couples are moving in together, trying it out, seeing if it works, which is usually a recipe for more disaster because the odds that your marriage will work out if you live together before you commit is less than if you commit at the start. So we're dealing with this issue, and here's what Satan does. Satan will whisper this lie. Here's the problem, he says. You married the wrong person. Ever hear that one? Ever feel that? Maybe you believe that. You married the wrong person. I, I don't believe that at all. I believe, if you go back to the day you got married, you believed with all your heart that was the right person. Now, because your, your thinking is clouded, you believe you married the wrong person, and, you, and Satan will help you justify that in your heart, that you should have listened to your parents, should have listened to your friends, should have trusted your heart, or whatever it was, or shouldn't have trusted my heart. I shouldn't have married this person. I, I believe this truth with all my heart, that marriage isn't about finding the right person. Marriage is about being the right person. Marriage is about God helping you to become the person you need to be for that other person. See, here's what I think we do oftentimes. Hope is like fuel for a marriage. Now, when you're, if your car ran out of gas, would you go shopping for a new car? Hey, you know, my car's out of gas. I'm going to go up to that lot because up at that, that lot where the lights are shining at night, the cars look really pretty and the bodies look great, and they're full of gas in the tank, and, man, if I could get one of those cars, everything would be awesome. The reality is you need to stick with the car you have. You just need to put gas in it. You find a place to get gas in your car, and you have people think, like, if I get rid of this marriage, and get that one, the tank's full, everything's going to be great, but you're going to find that over time, the tank in that relationship's going to go down, too. And what will you do when that gets to bottom level? What, what you and I need is to figure out when I need hope in a relationship where do i find it where do i find hope i want to tell you where you won't find it you won't find it in yourself cuz if you could you would have already tapped into it you you've you've given all the hope you can and it's gone you don't have any more to give you won't find it in the other person that's where we think we're going to find it give me a little little ray of hope give me a glimmer that things are going to be different you're responsible for my hope but I'm going to tell you, if you do that, you're probably going to be more disappointed than not. You, you might look to the people around you. I need people around me. And sometimes you have good people, parents, friends who will speak well, but you also have people around you that will give you bad advice. Job experienced that. Job had friends when he was going through an extremely painful experience in his life. Job's friend, friends all said things that sounded logical but were wrong. And you will have people who will tell you to do things. Well, you know, when I went through that, we just divorced, and it worked for us, and and it'll work for you. Or you need to drop this thing or do this awful thing. And here's the only place you'll find reliable hope, from the Lord. Hope comes from the Lord. Here's the condition we are in according to Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, that at just that time we were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners, to the covenants and the promise, without hope and without God in this world. Without hope and without God in this world. Those two go together. If you don't have God, you don't have hope. And he says that's the way it is when you're apart from Christ. You don't have hope because you don't have God. Because God is the God of hope. In the book of Psalms, David says it very clearly, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from where? Comes from Him. My hope is found in the Lord. And you know why our hope is found in the Lord? Here's the kind of God He is. He creates something out of nothing. He He brings fruit where there's barrenness, a child where there is a barren womb. He gives victory where it looks like apparent defeat. And where there's death, he brings resurrection. God is the God of hope. That's why all through Scripture we're reminded of this fact that our hope isn't going to be found in the strength of our armies in the chariots or in our wealth or in the people. It'll be found in the Lord. So if it's found in the Lord, it's also found in what He says, which is His Word. God's hope is found in His Word. Psalm 119, 147. David says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I put my hope in in your word. Some of you have felt that. You, you you wake up early in the morning, you're crying, crying for hope. God, I need hope. And God says, I've got it for you. It's found in my word. And you know, when you rely on God's word and believe what it says or act on what it says, you'll find hope start to surge. For example, sometimes we can get really discouraged as parents, they go, Man, I really messed up with my kids. And I'm watching the decisions they're making and I'm not happy. But I hold on to the principle of, of Proverbs 22, 6, that if you train a child up in the way he should go, in the end, he'll not depart from it. I'm going to hold on to that, that principle from Scripture. Or I'm going to hold on to the practice of Scripture that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I notice when I do that, that things happen better in my relationship. When I am able to forgive the wrongs and not hold to an offense, as, as God tells me to, I find that this relationship is, is being restored. I have known couples within churches that I've served who have dealt with some pretty serious issues, pornography, addiction to pornography, an affair. If there's ever a time where I think, man, I don't know if my marriage could survive this. I, I had a friend who's, whose wife had an affair with his best friend. And I thought, oh, this is, this is disastrous. And what it caused both of those individuals to do, the husband and wife, is to seek the Lord. And they wanted to preserve their marriage, and they repented of their wrongs. Yes, he repented of his wrongs that drove his wife away from him. And they they came together, and they looked to God's word. And God began to restore hope in the relationship. And their marriage today is stronger than it's ever been. And they are holding on to this truth from Romans chapter 8, that in all things, even in the worst of things, God will bring good for those who love him. So you look to his word for help, and you find it through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. When you surrender your life to Christ, something powerful happens. Jesus comes to live in your heart, but not a man with a robe and sandals. He comes to live inside of you, inside this body, through, through his presence called the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is powerful When the Holy Spirit is present in your life and you surrender yourself to him, you allow him to speak and guide your decisions and the steps you take, here's what you find happening. He fills you with things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and hope. All these things are called fruit of the Spirit. When When you walk closely with the Lord, when you walk the duration of your life with the Lord, you will find yourself becoming more and more like God in the character traits. And so he fills us with this hope. My wife's favorite verse is found in Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow. I mean, filling us up and overflowing with hope. Where does that hope come from? The Holy Spirit. So hope comes from God, comes through His Word, comes into us through His Holy Spirit. Now, I want to get really practical. And look, at, a Pastor, how do then I how do bring hope into my life? What does that mean? How do I access that hope? I want to go back over the last two weeks and actually tie the past two messages to this one because I think they fit together very well. Thomas Edison, probably the greatest inventor America's ever known, says, Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is to always try just one more time. Now, he's speaking as an inventor. I think he's saying something very profound about marriage. I heard one definition of marriage that I think is beautiful. It's two broken people refusing to give up on each other. Two broken people who refuse to give up on each other. So two critical steps. And if you've been ready to give up, I'm going to ask you, don't give up yet. Try these two things, because I, I, I really believe you will turn the relationship around. Now, this can work in a friendship, may work with your kids, but especially I'm thinking of a marriage when I'm telling you this. Here's number one. Commit to protecting the other person. Commit to protecting the other person. You know, before Jesus um, left the Last Supper and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, excuse me, went to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what he did there? He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for the ones that were immediate disciples. He prayed for the ones that were way off down the road who would choose to follow him. In the midst of that prayer, Jesus said this, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And why did he pray for protection? Because he knew that there was an evil one out there called Satan who had come to discourage them, who had come to discredit them, who would come to destroy them. And that they would need protection, divine protection against this enemy. What you and I need to know is that our enemy is not our spouse. Our enemy is not our wayward child. Our enemy is not our friend. Our enemy is Satan. And he's going to take that situation and use it as a wedge to drive you and that other person apart. Because here's what often happens someone hurts us, and they really, they've really disappointed us, and we become really distraught emotionally. And so we choose to strike back. And our mode of punishment is to use our tongue to inflict harm on the other person. Now, we may do it directly through sarcasm, through loud, angry words, or we may do it in our conversations with other people as we slander them. And we believe we're justified because, after all, we hurt so much. But Ephesians 4.31 says how wrong that is. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of mouse. Get rid of all that. Get rid of it. You want to punish them, and God wants you to pray for them. So use your words not to attack them, but to go to God to intercede on their behalf. Now, this may sound kind of crazy, but if if you have someone in your life who's been driving you crazy, who's been upsetting you, and you want to attack them, step back and realize there is an evil spirit who's trying to drag them down, who's tempting them. I don't know all that's going on in their world, but I want to go to battle for them. What I'm actually asking you to do is fight for that person, not with that person. And the way you primarily do it is through prayer. And then here's something else to do. Choose to trust what God is doing. God is in the business of completing the good work he began. And even when you can't see it, know that God is at work behind the scenes. Abraham was told that he was going to have a child in his old age. So he and his wife were 90 to 100 years old, and they were getting ready to have this baby, their first child. And it was unbelievable. It's It's an impossibility. And yet, Abraham trusted God. In fact, here's the description of Abraham's trust in God. Against all hope. When things looked so hopeless, so impossible, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. God, I don't see how this is possible, but I trust your word. I trust you that you're going to do what only you can do, that you're working behind the scenes, even in the body of my wife, to make this possible. We trust you. Trust what God is doing. Trust what God's doing in the other person. Trust what God's doing in you because I have to tell you that a lot of what God does in our relationships is use the other person also to squeeze out our own selfishness and pride. God is working on both sides of the relationship. But he's doing something good. And here's why I believe prayer is so critical for this relationship. Because when you're trying to trust God to do something great, here's what God is able to do. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, speaking of God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You've got to ask. You've got to pray. You've got to ask. And when you ask, know this. God is able to. To do what you've asked. Don't even stop there. God God is able to do more than you ask. That's not even the full truth. God is able to do immeasurably more than you ask. Sounds pretty good, right? It's even better than that. He's able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. So you're praying for this. You're thinking, well, this would be nice if God would do this, and God says, well, I'm, I'm thinking of this up here. But it all begins with you asking. When you go to the God, the God of hope, he is able to do far more than you can see, far more than you could even ask or imagine. That's the God we pray to. So Romans 12, 12 has some great advice. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. The difficulties you're going through, be patient, but do this. Be faithful in prayer. There's an awesome movie that that came out a few months ago called The War Room. How many of you have seen it? If you haven't seen it, I just really encourage you to see it because in this movie, there's a couple going through some very difficult marriage issues. The man is on the verge of, of an affair. And he's also lying on his job and actually loses his job because of his cheating. And there's a point toward the end of the movie where he's on his knees before his wife and he's in tears of repentance And he's come to understand that his wife has been spending her time not talking to other people about how bad her husband is. She's been going into her closet, her war room. See, she cleaned out all her clothes, cleaned out all the clutter in her closet, and she says, this is now going to be my war room, my room that I'm going to pray for my husband. And she realized that he was in a spiritual battle, and she began to intercede for him. And you know what happened? Hope began to rise in her relationship with him. But I think the most critical point of the movie was when he's apologizing to her and asking her, how in the world have you been able to do this? Why have you stayed with me when I've been so unfaithful to you? How have you done this? And she said, you know, I love you, but I love Jesus even more. And it's because of him that I do this. See, I think sometimes we, we, we put everything on the other person saying, I'm, relying, I'm waiting for you to do something for me. But here's what a lasting love does. It says, I'm looking to him to do what you probably will never do for me. And it's out of my love for him that I do for you what he did for me. See, some of you today are at a place where you're out of hope. It may be your marriage. It may be a relationship with your kids. I've known parents who've said, I I don't even talk to my grandkids or my kids anymore. It may be a friend that you've given up on. You're in a place of hopelessness today. I want you to know that God is a God of hope. But you have to ask for it. You have to come to him. So I'm going to ask you to do something pretty brave, pretty bold. But you don't have to be ashamed to admit this. Because I think all of us, if we're honest, go through seasons where we need hope. We really do. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're in that situation today where you need to be filled afresh with hope, would you just stand where you are? I want you to stand where you are. Go it's, ahead. It's no shame to say I need hope. In fact, it would be it would be the worst thing is to know you need hope and be too proud to stand. So it's okay. God God already knows what your heart needs. Where do you need hope? What relationship have you given up on? And I know you're thinking, Pastor, you don't know my situation. It is so hopeless. I I can imagine your situation. I've seen awful situations, but I know the kind of God that we serve. And he is a God of hope. And he's the only one who can resurrect something that's dead. So I'm going to ask you to make a declaration of hope. We're going to put a prayer on the screen. I want you to proclaim this as your prayer today. Okay, let's just do this together out loud. Gracious Father, I come to you in need of hope that only you can give. I release to you my unmet expectations, disappointments, hurts, fears, and doubts. Fill me with the confident anticipation of the good things you desire and are able to do, not only in their life, but also in mine. I will protect and not harm the one I love and will trust you to do even more than I ask or even imagine. I ask this for your honor and glory. Amen. Amen.